1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sienna Senior Living, Inc.'s Q2 2020 conference call. Today's call is hosted by Nitin Jain, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Karen Hahn, Chief Financial Officer of Sienna Senior Living, Inc. Please be aware that certain statements or information discussed today are forward-looking and actual results could differ materially. The company does not undertake to update any forward-looking statement or information. Please refer to the forward-looking information and risk factors section in the company's public filings, including its most recent MD&A and AIF, for more information. You will also find a more fulsome discussion of the company's results in its MD&A and financial statements for the period, which are posted on SIDAR and can be found on the company's website, siannaliving.ca. Today's call has been recorded, and a replay will be available instructions for access in the call are posted on the company's website and the details are provided in the company's news release the company has posted slides which accompany the host remarks on the company's website under events and presentations with that I will turn the call to Mr. Jane. please go ahead Mr. Jane.
2: thank you Jolim and good morning everyone and thank you for joining us on our Q2 call this morning this is my first conference call as the president and CEO of Siena And with me today is Karen Hahn, our new Chief Financial Officer. Both Karen and I have deep roots at Siena and have closely worked together for the last five years in our previous roles. The impact of COVID-19 on long-term care has been particularly serious across Canada. Without a doubt, the last few months have been the most challenging in our company's 48-year-old history. And I'm truly grateful for the support of our team and our stakeholders as we navigate this difficult time. My focus is on resident-centered, people-driven solutions to navigate Siena through this pandemic and beyond. We will take all necessary steps to minimize the impact of new outbreaks and a potential second wave. We will do everything we can to keep everyone healthy and safe while providing the best quality care and services for our seniors. In order to stay connected with our team members and to show my support and gratitude, I started in-person visits of our residences in Ontario. Over the past weeks, I have toured 11 residences, and it's given me a much better insight into the incredible work our team members are, going, are doing on the ground. It also gave me an opportunity to connect with residents and their families. We are encouraged that as of yesterday, we have no active cases of COVID-19 in any of our residences. We continue to make good progress in implementing important measures in a fight against COVID-19, many of them outlined in our six-point action plan we announced in early June. Since the onset of the pandemic, we have sourced over 4 million pieces of PPE for use at our residences. We continue to build capacity to ensure adequate future supply of PPE at all times. We added additional health care expertise and have accelerated the hiring and retention of frontline staff members. And we have enhanced training and re-education of our team members and continue to make improvements to the way we engage with our residents and families. Since early June, we have engaged four senior health experts whose expertise and background is nothing short of impressive. Joseph Mapa has been engaged as an executive advisor. He is the former president and CEO of Mount Sinai Hospital and during that time, he played a critical leadership role in managing Mount Sinai's response to SARS. Dr. Andrea Moser has been engaged as our Chief Medical Consultant. Dr. Moser is a family physician with deep expertise in long-term care. Her advice will help us enhance our medical and physician practices and policies. We have engaged Dr. Allison McGear as a Chief Infection Prevention and Control Consultant Dr. McGeer is a highly recognized infectious disease specialist and played a leading role in the fight against SARS for Canada. Dr. Moser and Dr. McGeer will also help us put best practices in place and prepare us for future potential outbreaks, including COVID-19. We have engaged Mary Jane Dykman to help us uh, develop a best-in-class resident and caregiver engagement program that aligns with our focus on meaningful engagement with residents caregivers, and families. I've now been CEO for nearly 60 days and I've recently visited eight Ontario long-term care communities and three retirement residences across Ontario. Most of the properties I visited had been an outbreak during the pandemic and my visits are part of my thank you tour. The main purpose of my tour is to show my appreciation for all the outstanding efforts from our team members. When most of the world was scared to even go grocery shopping, our team members were coming into work every single day. One of the main things that stood out for me was how the teams supported each other and have been doing everything they can during the pandemic. Over the past months, we have gone to extensive means to assure adequate staffing at our residences and that we have hired more than 900 full-time and nearly 1,000 part-time staff members since the beginning of March. Driven by the single-site order, which requires staff members to work at only one residence, we have increased the ratio of full-time to part-time from 47% to approximately 66%. We are in the process of reviewing each property for the optimal mix of part-time and full-time team members. We believe that increasing the ratio of full-time team members also benefits our residents and our operations, as it provides more stability to our staffing and resident needs. In April, the governments of Ontario and British Columbia announced a temporary pandemic pay program for frontline workers. We supplemented that program to cover team members not covered in the government pay program. Moving to slide 7, inspired by the dedication and efforts of staff members, Siena, together with three national senior living operators, initiated the CARES funds. This fund provides one-time financial grants of up to $10,000 to eligible employees of long-term care and retirement operators in Canada who are facing extraordinary circumstances amid the pandemic. By July of this year, the CARES fund has awarded more more than 400 employees in the senior living sector over 1.8 million in emergency financial assistance. Moving to government funding, to date, the Government of Ontario has announced $243 million in additional funding for the long-term care sector and $20 million for the retirement sector to fund COVID-19 costs. The Government of British Columbia has also committed approximately $27 million in funding for costs in connection with mandating single-site work locations and infection prevention and control. The Government of Ontario has announced that occupancy protection funding will be in place for long-term care residences until the end of 2020. Residents in Ontario currently cannot be placed in rooms with three or four beds. While accommodations are limited to a maximum of two beds per room, the Government of Ontario will continue to fund the beds at full capacity until the end of this year. All long-term care operators will also receive full funding For long-term care residences in Ontario and British Columbia if a vacancy is caused as a result of the closure of admissions of new residents because of an outbreak including COVID-19. The additional funding is crucial for long-term care operators to help offset the significant costs driven by the pandemic and we are very grateful for the support and leadership of our government in the fight against COVID-19. We will continue to advocate for additional funding and changes that benefit the sector as a whole. Moving to preparing for the potential second wave. Together with our healthcare advisors, we have been working on numerous initiatives and procedures to ensure the health and safety of our residents and team members and to prepare for a potential second wave. These initiatives include increased training of staff members include cross-training to ensure a more nimble team and the re-education of frontline workers, which is focused on quality and safety. In addition to ensure adequate staffing at all residences, we are also enhancing our clinical and infection control teams. We have increased COVID-19 testing at our residences, including the bi-weekly testing of all team members in addition to regular screening, and we expect to continue to do so in the foreseeable future. We will also continue to build our PPE capacity to ensure adequate supply at our residences at all times. We are very thankful for our hospital partners' support to care for and protect our residents and team members. They have been sharing best practices and are assisting us to plan for a potential second wave. Our hospital partners have been invaluable in promoting system integration and have helped us evaluate and implement additional measures processes, and protocols. We are committed to increased and transparent communications with our residents and their families. We believe that maintaining an open line of communication is very important to all of us. Over the past six weeks, we have hosted 26 virtual town halls and have issued 106 newsletters to keep everyone informed of relevant developments, programs, and initiatives. We also understand the importance of open and transparent communication with our team and have launched our Stay Connected video series. In the series, I answer anonymous questions of all staff members, and this is done in addition to regular virtual town hall meetings. Moving to our marketing and sales initiatives, over the past few weeks, we have increased our marketing efforts, intensified sales activities across our retirement portfolio, and connected with thousands of prospective residents. These efforts have resulted in a significant increase of our active lead base. Since the end of May, our total number of leads have increased by approximately 30%. We also continue to enhance our outreach strategy by leveraging our strong clinical wellness teams. Our our outreach is focused on hospitals, community partners, and professional organizations with the aim to broaden our referral sources. To further support these efforts, we have relaunched our referral program, which is extended to our professional contacts as well as our residents. Early indicators are positive. In addition, we have redesigned our sales incentive program, which is aimed at converting potential leads by the end of Q3. Since we uh, launched this program three weeks ago, it has resulted in more than 100 new commitments with residents scheduled to move in by September 30th of this year. In Q4 of this year, we will be launching a new centralized call center. This call center will enhance our communication and marketing efforts with current and prospective residents and their families. As new team members and new residents have started to move in again, they're required to follow a mandatory 14-day isolation period. This can be quite hard and we're doing everything to make this time as enjoyable as possible. As part of a number of initiatives, we have launched our staycation program, which includes personalized gifts, access to technology, and entertainment, like in-suite concerts. We are quite encouraged by the momentum we see and the feedback we have received since reopening our residences. During the month of July, deposits have nearly doubled compared to the previous month. With that, I'll turn it over to Karen, who will provide an update on our operating and financial performance.
3: Thank you, Nitten, and good morning, everyone. As Nitten highlighted, we did not leave any stone unturned to fight COVID-19. The magnitude and impact of the pandemic is reflected in our second quarter results, which include the extraordinary expenses to manage the pandemic. I will start with our Q2 operating performance on slide 13. Average occupancy in the long-term care portfolio declined to 92.6% in the quarter from 98.3% in the same period last year. As Nitin mentioned, long-term care residences are fully funded for vacancies that are caused by temporary closure of admissions due to outbreaks, and we will receive funding protection until the end of the year. Ciena's average same property occupancy in the retirement portfolio declined to 83% in the quarter from 88.4% in the same period last year. During the quarter, occupancy declined by 90 basis points in April and 70 basis points in each of May and June, largely as a result of COVID-19 restrictions that have reduced the move-in activity and the ability to conduct in-home tours. Monthly rent collection levels remained high at approximately 99 percent consistent with our experience prior to COVID-19. Moving on to our Q2 financial results. Our same property NOI of 31.8 million in Q2 decreased by 8.1 million or 20.4% over the prior year, mainly related to net pandemic expenses of 7.7 million. Long-term care NOI decreased by 5.9 million to 16.6 million year over year, and retirement same property NOI decreased by 2.3 million to 15.1 million. Excluding net pandemic expenses, consolidated same property NOI decreased by 1.2% year over year, mainly due to the softness in retirement occupancy, partially offset by in-place rental rate increases in line with market conditions and timing of expenses. Moving on to our pandemic expenses. We expect to continue to incur an increased level of expenses to support the cost of managing COVID-19 mainly comprised of investments in additional staffing, employee pandemic pay programs, and procurement of PPE, infection control, and cleaning supplies. It is important to note that there may be timing differences between the time of incurring these expenses and the funding of such expenses. During the quarter, we recorded net pandemic expenses of $10.6 million related to managing COVID-19. Turning to slide 16, OFFO in Q2 was $16.7 million compared to $23.6 million in the prior year, a decrease of $6.9 million primarily due to net pandemic expenses, partially offset by mark-to-market adjustments on share-based compensation, lower current income taxes, and lower net interest expense. Q2 OFFO per share was $0.24.9, compared to $0.35.6 in the prior year. In terms of our balance sheet, Siena maintains a strong financial position with significant liquidity and a substantial unencumbered asset pool. Siena ended the second quarter with over 240 million in liquidity, comprised of cash and cash equivalents as well as available credit facilities. Subsequent to the end of Q2, we repaid 60 million of our credit facilities. With our diversified debt profile and an unencumbered asset pool of approximately 540 million, we expect that we will continue to have access to multiple sources of financing. We have limited debt maturities for the remainder of 2020, and we believe that we'll be able to successfully refinance our Series VD ventures in the amount of 240 million, net of its principal reserve fund, coming due next year. Our debt capitalization is well distributed between unsecured and secured ventures, credit facilities, conventional mortgages, and CMHC-insured mortgages. Looking at our debt metrics on slide 18, our debt-to-growth book value increased by 190 basis points to 48.5% year-over-year, mainly due to 167 million drawdown from our credit facilities, of which 105 million had been invested in short-term investments during the quarter. This provides the company financial flexibility. We decreased our weighted average cost of debt by 30 basis points to 3.4% year-over-year, primarily due to increasing of of floating rate debt to capitalize on the low interest rate environment. Due to the significant amount of net pandemic expenses, debt-to-adjusted EBITDA increased to 8.6 years in Q2 from 6.7 years in the prior year, and our interest coverage ratio decreased to three times in Q two from four times in the prior year. Factoring in the repayment of sixty million of our credit facilities subsequent to Q two, our Q two pro forma debt to growth book value would be forty five point nine percent, a decrease of two hundred sixty points, uh, and our Q two pro forma debt to adjusted EBITDA would improve by six months to eight point one years. CNR's ASFO payout ratio increased to 94.4% in the second quarter from 62.5% in the comparable prior year period, mainly as a result of the net pandemic expenses. We expect an increased level of expenses for some time, and given the ongoing uncertainty around the impact and duration of COVID-19, we have withdrawn our 2020 guidance earlier this year. In the meantime, we remain committed to providing periodic updates on the impact of COVID-19 on our business operations and financial results. With that, Nitin will provide his closing remarks.
2: Thank you, Karen. COVID-19 has highlighted the urgency for our sector to come up with solutions to better serve and protect our seniors. They represent a generation that has contributed so much to our society and to our country. We owe it to them to help them age with dignity. I am hopeful that collectively we will be able to address the challenges we face and drive progress across our sector. We are pleased with the Ontario government's announcement on July 15 of a new funding model for the redevelopment of long-term care. The model is expected to accelerate the much-needed construction and redevelopment of long-term care homes across the province. We have long advocated for a revised model such as this that recognizes regional development needs and our team is in the process of evaluating the impact of the revised model and we are committed to working with all stakeholders. The construction and redevelopment projects will not only allow more seniors to age in a new home, but the development of these homes will also have a positive economic impact resulting from increased employment opportunities. We are also continuing the planning of our joint venture development of a retirement home with signature retirement in Niagara Falls. The planned development is located in a market we know well and expected to benefit from future demand in this community. I'm incredibly grateful for uh, for our team who continue to demonstrate commitment, compassion, and resilience. And I want to sincerely thank our residents and their families for their encouragement and support. I also want to acknowledge the many partners who are supporting us in the fight against COVID-19 and their swift leadership including our hospital partners, the governments of Ontario and British Columbia, and many other key stakeholders. With the support of our stakeholders and the exceptional expertise of our team and advisors, we are implementing the learnings from recent months. We have been working on numerous initiatives to keep our team members and residents healthy and safe, and have improved the way we communicate with our residents and their families. Our marketing efforts are showing a positive trend in commitments from future residents and our development plans have been gaining momentum in recent weeks. I see many positive signs in our long-term care communities and retirement residences and feel confident about the plan we have put in place for a path forward. Thank you for your participation in the call today. We are now pleased to answer any questions you may have.
1: Thank you, sir. As a reminder, to ask a question, you would need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. I show our first question comes from Brendan Abrams from
0: Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. And uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate you and your team on uh, on really um, you know challenging quarter, but uh, everyone stepping up in terms of... Uh, you know, protecting uh, the residents and um, having zero cases right now. So that's that's great. Um, just wanted to touch on a few things, uh, just in terms of occupancy funding for the long-term care. I know it's, you know, secured through 2020, at the end of 2020. What's your um, expectation from the government after that? Uh, and if you've had any conversations with them.
2: Thank you, Brandon, first of all, for your, for your comments. Um, you know, the, uh, this is the right thing to do at this time, given that there is really no vaccine at this, uh, at this moment. And it is not only uh, a difficult uh, thing to, um, to limit the spread of COVID-19, you know, but just, the, uh, you know, being able to um, serve people who are poor people in a, uh, in a, in a room is difficult as well. So uh, this is a key challenge for the province and for our sector. Uh, by this change, I think uh, the system has lost close to 5,000 beds in capacity. So I do not really have any guidance into what it would look like in the future, but we are committed to working with our hospital partners, with the government to find a sustainable solution going forward. And as we have more insight, we will, we will provide so.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, that makes, uh, that makes sense. And um, I think you touched on this in your opening remarks, Remarks just in terms of uh, upcoming debt maturity, the Series B, um, you know, not too far from now, I believe February 2021. Um, you know, what what do you see as the most likely uh, scenario, or or maybe you know, option or two to uh, address this maturity, and you know, how do you think uh, maybe the rate might compare to uh, to the existing uh, debenture?
2: Yeah, the, the, the existing debenture, the rate is around 3.4% uh, percent or so, and, you know, depending on uh, what we do with it, and given the flexibility we have had as a company, you know, there's an opportunity for us to do an unsecured financing, uh, uh, potentially do some in mortgage financing or a blend of that. Uh, unfortunately, there's no CMHC program as it relates to Ontario long-term care, but there are some assets in an unencumbered asset pool, which are retirement residences, so we might be able to swap some, So at this point, we feel very confident in our ability to do so. Uh, We have had uh, very positive conversations uh, with our lenders over the last month or so in terms of our path forward for Series B. Uh, So at this point, we are really looking at all different options, so we have multiple plans into place. And again, as we have a bit more confirmed view of what we might want to do, we
0: will be uh, announcing it in due course. Okay, and give an idea of the, uh, just to follow up, an idea of the clear title value of uh, maybe your retirement portfolio where there is, uh, uh, which is eligible for the CMHC financing.
2: Uh, sorry, Brandon, I'm not sure I got the question. You said um, the value of it, of that portfolio, is that what you were
3: asking?
0: Um, the value of the clear title assets in the retirement portfolio, which I guess presumably you could uh uh, you know, secure CMHC financing on?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we have $540 million in assets uh, which are unencumbered at the moment. Uh, you know, so some of them are retirement residences. I do not have the split uh, top talk with me at, at this point, but I think that's when we look at series become mine, that's one of the ways we want to look at it as well.
0: Okay, and then just last question for me before I turn it, o- turn it over, just in terms of maybe G&A and expectations, uh, maybe for twenty twenty one onward obviously i mean you know last quarter was unique and and maybe even the next two as well dealing with uh you know the heart of the the pandemic um uh, can you can you provide some color on on where you see maybe g and a um uh, normalizing I, I should say it would it be fair to be somewhere between maybe last quarter and uh uh, maybe, you know, Q4, 19.
3: Right. Hi, Brendan. Um, thanks for your comments at the beginning. Now, during the quarter, we spent uh, on, let's say, our regular wages and benefits in G&A of about $5.6 million in the quarter. Uh, and uh, we know that we've uh, added a pandemic expenses um, as a result of what we were managing. And going forward uh, on a normalized basis, we expect to it to be uh, back to normal levels um, at around 3.4 to 3.6 percent of revenues, as we have experienced in the past.
0: Okay, that's uh, very helpful. Thank you. I'll turn it over.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from
1: Chris Cooper from TIBC. Please go ahead.
4: Um, good morning. Uh, maybe just following up uh, along Brendan's lines of questioning with respect to um, the um, the pandemic expenses that were incurred in the quarter. Um, my my take is that the in in the long term care side um, there could be a, some recovery of the of the net amount um, kind of outstanding uh, in in the quarter um, and maybe ultimately uh, the the LTC pandemic expenses should, should mostly be recovered. What, what, about, uh, in, what about retirement? Is, the, is that kind of $3 million um, a quarter of, of pandemic expenses uh, likely to persist? And are, are, is there any other government assistance that you could get on that side?
3: Right. Um, hi, Chris. So on the retirement side, uh, we have a little bit of a government funding announcements left. Um, but really the impact of the pandemic on retirement has been significantly different um, between long-term care and retirement. And when we look at our expenses across the board uh, between the two segments, they really relate to additional staffing to support a resident, Uh, the employee pandemic pay programs, purchase of PPE and uh, infection control and cleaning supplies. And when we look at these two segments together, we expect that these costs would moderate over time uh, and for the remainder of the year, uh, we'd be looking at approximately uh, $4 million of pandemic expenses in our NOI, mainly attributed to long-term care segments, and this does now factor in the possible additional government funding that might be announced later in relation to the pandemic.
4: No, sorry, you expect the, the, the net pandemic expenses uh, on the NOI line to be about $4 million for the balance of the year, is that, is that right?
3: No, so that won't be net. That would be before uh, any government funding
4: announcement. Okay, so that's gross. All right. Uh, and then, what about on the ad- administrative side? Um, I know you've uh, made a number of uh, or engaged a number of healthcare experts. Um, just on that, you know, is there anything you can share that you've learned so far, and maybe anything with respect to, uh, you know, how long these engagements may last, and, and in terms of um, the the extraordinary uh, admin expense.
2: Yes, yeah, so you know the, our admin expense for this quarter uh, related to pandemic was three million. We expect it to be, you know, call it around three million for the balance of the year, not three million by quarter. Uh, really, the expertise that we got from our key advisors in healthcare has been truly uh, extraordinary, and is to really help us get better prepared for the second quarter, making sure we have good physician practices in place. We expect uh, the long-term care, uh, you know, sector to be a lot more. Uh, you know, collaboration, working with hospitals, so having someone like Joe to advise us on those uh, items is a key for us as well. So uh, I think, uh, you know, we shared many of the things that we are doing uh, over the last 60 days uh, based on the advice you've got, and I truly believe uh, that, you know, there's a real opportunity for us uh, to make a key difference in our seniors in both long-term care and residents uh, with that advice. So going forward, uh, you know, we the, our GNA is what Karen uh, talked about as it 3 and 3.5% or 3.6% as percentage of revenue. And if we have further information on it, uh, you know, in 2021 and, and, and onwards, we'll definitely do that on a timely basis.
4: Okay, great. And then maybe just one last question f- from me. Um, on the long-term care side, um, have you noticed any, any uh, shift or change at all in the wait lists for your residences?
2: I mean, the wait list has gone longer. You know, as you uh, might notice, in our long-term care, occupancy has gone down to 92%. And it's not going down because there are not people looking to move in. It has gone down because of COVID-19. Many of the homes were shut down for uh, taking any new residents in. So the wait list is now close to 38,000 people, uh, and we do not see uh, really any change in that.
4: And the, and the wait list for your residences specifically, um, there's been no real real uh, uh, material change?
2: Uh, correct, no
0: material change. Thank you.
3: And Chris, maybe i just clarify. Um, I, I think I might get why you were asking if it's net or growth. Uh, I want to clarify that uh, NOI would be looking at about $4 million per month for the rest of the year.
4: Oh, 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 and Okay, and then that's mostly in the long-term care segment?
3: That's right. that's right.
4: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Pammy Burr from RBC Capital Markets.
5: Uh, thanks, and uh, good morning. Um, as you've kind of worked to address some of the issues over the last few months, um, you know, what are some of the areas that you've identified in terms of the more urgent need of addressing? And then secondly, can you provide some color on the recommendations uh, from, from Paul Bonifero? Uh,
2: sure, you know, the, the first one, you know, I think it's really, has been a learning not only uh, uh, for Canada, not only for Ontario, not only for long-term care, but for Siena, because the things that the world knows today about the virus, uh, you know, no one knew it uh, three months back. So for example, there are three things, in my view, which make a lot of sense today, but they were not in place from the very beginning. The first one being universal masking. This was implemented in, uh, in early April in long-term care. Uh, you know, we started a few days before the directive came out, and now you see, you know, every place you go out, you see people wearing a mask. And if we would have started it much sooner, or people knew, uh, you know, there would have been a different outcome potentially uh, for Canada. The single-site staffing uh, that has been a huge support in, in limiting COVID-19. And the last one, uh, you know, is universal testing. So, you know, we would uh, previously, uh, the tests were not being done. So you could have had asymptomatic patients or residents, uh, you know, living with uh, people, uh, you know, who had no COVID at that point and without any universal testing, you know, that was not possible. So we think those three things have made a key uh, difference. And uh, we continue to look forward with the government to, you know, to see how we can increase staffing in long-term care, we have long advocated for it uh, that the number of staffing needs to go up. And from a from a company perspective, adding the healthcare expertise and in infection prevention and control expertise has been truly instrumental. Uh, you know, as you can, when you go to a hospital, you uh, as you would uh, notice the amount of infection control you would have. That is different in long-term care. Long-term care truly is a residence home. So you, when you go and you uh, people bring in their own, own furniture, their own bedding, because it is supposed to be home-like. Versus in acute care settings such as a hospital, so I would say those would be the key learnings in terms of Paul uh, Bono, uh, Bonoferro's invest, uh, you know analysis on us. You know, we are reviewing it at the moment, and uh, we will figure it out some of the uh, implementations from it.
5: Um, sorry, just any, any color on you mentioned that you know there were a number of recommendations that uh, he made. Can you just can you just maybe just highlight a few or? Sure, I right. the,
2: the few of the ones that you know we addressed even in the beginning is really enhanced training uh, for our staff, you know the zero uh, making sure that people are aware and reinforcing our zero tolerance policy as it relates to abuse. Those would be the two biggest ones that we already started uh, as we were starting with uh, the Paul Burham Affairs investigation and the, and the big one is on communication with both residents and uh, family members. So you know that's where our call center is coming into place because uh, you know, uh, when everyone was extremely busy with COVID-19 and dealing with it, it is difficult sometimes to attend to the phone, and that keeps uh, you know, family members guessing as to what is happening uh, since they were not able to visit. So those would be the three key areas, staffing, uh, communication, and training.
5: Got it, uh, that's helpful, thank you. Um, and then just um, maybe switching gears, looking at the, the retirement home occupancy erosion, it seemed to, I guess, pick up in July, but maybe, um, you know, the indications to date uh, from some of your commentaries seem a bit more positive. Can you just um, provide some context uh, on that slippage in July relative to, you know, some of the other months? uh, It seems to be in a bit more contrast with some of your peers, which saw a bit less erosion. Right. And then just, um, you know, what you're seeing in perhaps the first few weeks of August here.
2: Sure. Now, thank you, uh, Pammy. And again, it's a bit of a challenge when the universe of people who disclose this information is very limited, call it two or three people. I'm just going on a limb, and I'm guessing that's who you're comparing it to as well. And uh, really for us, you know, we saw a slower decline in the, in the beginning months. You know, so year-to-date, for example, the, you know, we started, if you look at uh, the last three months or four months, April, May, June, and July, we'd accumulated a decline of about 3.4%. So we, we are looking at it more from that perspective. Uh, the thing we saw in, in our communities is that end of June is when long-term care started to open up there definitely was a pent-up demand of, uh, of residents who needed to go into long-term care, and that's what we saw. That is really the major decline of our occupancy. It wasn't people moving to competitor. And, uh, just we, but we also see pent-up demand for retirement, and that's the numbers we shared in terms of a number of leads going up. We have more than 100 deposits for people looking to move in before uh, Q3. But you know, there's usually a bit of lag between you know people leaving versus people coming in, and that's what we're experiencing.
5: I got it. Uh, I understand. Thank you. Uh, I, and I guess just uh, maybe last one for me, just uh, with respect to the hospital management agreements, uh, do you have a sense of how long those will, uh, how long they'll continue to, I guess, remain in place? And um, presumably, uh, are the costs associated with those agreements incorporated into your, I guess, outlook for the pandemic related costs?
2: Uh, correct. So starting with the last question first, yes, that cost is included in the pandemic related um, uh, cost going forward. You know, there, I would say, out of our three management agreements, uh, there are two which have a timeline to it. I just not, um, uh, it's not decided finally yet, so I'm hesitant to share the timeline. Uh, the third one would be uh, potentially a bit longer. Uh, but the two should be coming out in short to medium term, if, if I want to say that. Uh, and again, as we uh, get further for more clarity, we would announce those dates.
5: Thanks very much, uh, Nith and I. will uh, turn it back. Thank you, Pami.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Jonathan Kelcher from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Um, good
6: morning. Just uh, just to follow up on uh, Pami's uh, question there on the on the retirement side, um, I guess in the in your disclosure you said that um, deposits and uh, signed leases were were nearly double July over June and, and double over July or nearly double over July of last year. Um, I guess two things: one, how long does it take for for that to translate into occupancy? Yeah,
2: you know, so one of the, the deposits that I'm talking about, Jonathan, you know, so there is usually uh, I, I lag. Uh, but, you know, we also are uh, quite uh, focused on ensuring that people move in a bit sooner uh, because, you know, you, uh, there is a conversation of potential second wave, and no one really knows, but people are talking maybe sometime in October. So we are hugely focused on having people move in by Q3. So the deposits that I'm referring to, the 100 or more, uh, they are all supposed to uh, – they are due to move in before Q3. And having said this, we're also working towards how do we have people move in, uh, you know, when uh, if COVID-19 does come back in a, a bit more bigger way. And that's what I talked about, our staycation uh, process of when people come in and they're self-isolating, uh, even though they are in the room, it does not mean they have to be uncomfortable. So, you know, there are a lot of work that our retirement team is doing to ensure that they're enjoying their time in, of that 14 days rather than feel that they are, you know, uh, they can't go outside.
6: Okay. Does everybody who moves in now have to self-isolate for the fourteen days? That's correct. Okay. And then your, um, so I guess your your deposits and and sign leases were up nearly double versus um, versus July last year. How um, how did May and June compare to to twenty nineteen May and June in terms of in terms of those stats?
2: Uh, I don't have those numbers top of uh, mind. You know, I, you know, in May and June again, people were quite hesitant because they, they, you don't really know uh, when this would happen. You know, even during the pandemic, and if the home was or a retirement residence was not in an outbreak, we had people moving in because if uh, you had decided to move and you know you have sold your house and you, everything was done, so we had people move in. We obviously did that with the most precaution to ensure that they were isolated. Um, you know that we they are well taken care of, and that we are not putting others at risk. Uh, but you know, uh, May and June uh, activity would be, would be quite low.
6: Okay. Now, would it be fair to say that um, uh, July might be the the bottom in terms of occupancy, based on uh, based on the leads that you have?
2: Uh, I, but, you know, it's difficult for me to commit to something, but we uh, we hope so. I mean, our deposits look promising to us. And our number of deposits uh, grow every day, which is a which is a positive sign. Uh, so I you know I, I hope uh, that you know that's where uh, July could be the bottom, um, but you know I, I think it's hard for me to commit at this point. And again, we are committed to providing our monthly uh, occupancy uh, you know as needed uh, uh, to everyone.
6: Okay. And then just um, just one last one for me. And on the long-term care, you, you, it has obviously started to open up. Um, do you see any issues, I guess, what, what can your occupancy get to given that you do have those 500 or so uh, ward beds that you can, can no longer use, and, and what do you think it gets to by the end of this year?
2: Yeah, I would say our occupancy, if we remove those roughly 500 beds which are, you know, taken away because of the four beds and we are funded for it, um, you know, we expect our occupancy to go up to 97 98%. They're a very healthy wait list. And again, the reason the occupancy has not gone up is just because you could not accept admissions uh, but there's a there's a, a high uh, amount of demand as we just talked about thirty eight thousand people on a wait list, so we expect that to go up unless uh, you know homes go and are shut down again because of covid nineteen
6: okay, so that should be up sort of by the end of uh, q three then
2: that, that's that's our intention, and that's what we're seeing that people are moving into long term care
6: okay. And and it's I guess it's just way too early to to figure out how any sort of funding would work if uh, if the government doesn't change on uh, change on those 5,000 beds those 5,000 ward beds right
2: yeah that's correct and sorry I just want to correct so we have not the movements have not started into long term care but we are in the process of talk, speaking to Lens and others as to how that would happen because you know again the health and safety uh, comes first so we are just. Finalizing that, So you might not, we might not see a big difference in Q3 as it comes to an average, but, again, that's something we are watching, and it's more to do with when, uh, uh, you know, uh, everyone feels comfortable that we should be adding more people to long-term care and not put others at risk.
6: Okay. Um, that's it for me. I'll uh, turn it back. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Yash Shankar from Laurentine. Please go ahead.
7: Uh, good morning. Hey,
2: good morning, Yash. Good
7: morning. Um, Just wanted to clarify one thing. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have started moving uh, people into your uh, ward rooms in your LTC homes. Has that process started, or you don't expect it to start?
2: Uh, so let me just clarify. I think my hands are probably confused. That's in, uh, uh, so first, there's no one moving into long-term care in Ontario at the moment, uh, whether ward or no ward. The second, well, the second conversation is that the four bedrooms would be only limited to two people in a room. So that's uh, and that would stay until the end of 2020, as per directive.
7: Got it. Okay. Um, you mentioned. Uh that your staff to patient ratios have gone up? I think you said 47 percent to 66 percent? Could you right, uh, maybe... Uh,
2: full-time to part-time ratio has gone up, that's correct.
7: But are you allocating more staff to your patients than uh, that that is required? That's what I'm trying to understand.
2: Sure. So, you know, as we talked about, Karen mentioned the increase in uh, expenses for COVID-19 and the majority of that expense is related to staffing, whether it's screening, whether it's additional staff to take care of residents. And that's what we talked about, roughly $4 million of expenses uh, going forward, uh, but it does not factor in government funding. So if uh, we expect government funding would come and that those expenses would come down.
7: Okay. Um, and uh, about your debt maturity, you mentioned that you have 440 million dollars of unencumbered assets how much of that is assigned to your unsecured uh, debenture pool
2: sure so we have 540 million dollars of unencumbered assets and you know our unsecured financing we have a 200 million dollar revolver and 150 million dollar unsecured financing so 350 the covenant we need to meet is 1.3, so call it $450 million uh, that is uh, taken away for out of that 540, so you're left with close to $90 million or so, and you can borrow additional $70 million um, from that unencumbered asset pool. Our goal is to always have uh, some buffer and cushion in it. And our refinancing, which is coming due, which is Series B, is backed by 26 long-term care assets. And just the value, there are 12A uh, long-term care assets in it, and we, uh, based on the some of the valuation work we have done, uh, we find between just the A properties and the liquidity that we have, we should have uh, enough ability to, to put uh, fi- uh, to be able to refinance uh, that the uh, upcoming debt maturity of 245.
7: Okay, and uh, just on uh, last one on your margins, so based on what you're seeing and hearing from the government do you think your margins your margin profile has gone down, your long-term care margin profile has gone down or uh, do you think, or will go down uh, from where it was say last couple of years permanently?
3: Hi Hi, Yash, Um, so our long-term care and retirement uh, margins have been impacted by our pandemic expenses but really if we exclude those uh, for Q2 and year to date, those would be comparable to the 2019 margin.
2: And it's hard for us to, just to follow up on it, Yash, it's hard for us to predict uh, the model going forward and that's why we are sharing the pandemic expense, related expenses, Uh, excluding pandemic, our margin stays consistent. So, you know, I I think it's too early for us to predict what the future might look like for both long-term care and retirement residences.
7: Uh, thank you. That's it for me.
2: Thank you, Ash.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Himanshu Gupta from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead.
7: Thank you and good morning. So first of I all, congrats to, uh, congrats to you, congrats to and Alan. Uh, you guys have taken the responsibilities in difficult times. Uh, Nathan, how's your tenure of being CEO so far? Uh, what opportunities or challenges seen from you see in front of you?
2: Uh, thank you, Manchi, for the uh, question. Uh, many of you might not know, but I, in fact, started my career in operations uh, and attended hotel school. So this is really me uh, coming back to my roots. Uh, and to say that last 60 days has been a blur, I think that, would, uh, that word is too slow to describe the pace of what we have done as a team. Uh, it is not lost on me that it truly is a privilege uh, to be serving 12,000 residents and 12,000 team members. Uh, You know, I would say the highlight of my, uh, you know, last 60 days had been visiting 11 of our communities, eight long-term care, uh, three retirement, and uh, speaking to uh, team members one-on-one and really um, talk about some of the heroic work that they've done uh, during COVID-19. You know, I mentioned in my script that when most of the world was scared of going to grocery store, you know, people went into work. Um, Some of them stayed into long-term care homes so that they don't go back. And uh, in fact, anyone at home. So, you know, there is really no words to describe uh, what the teams have done. Uh, you know, we are very pleased uh, with the able, with the healthcare expertise we were able to bring in uh, to Sienna, be some of the best names uh, in Canada and in healthcare. And we have very strong operations team. Uh, you know, very strong team at, at our corporate office. And I'm really confident about the path forward. The redevelopment program is, uh, you know, is encouraging focus from the government on long-term care uh, to fix some of the challenges encouraging. So uh, I'm I'm encouraged and I'm optimistic about uh, not only our sector, but definitely for Siena.
7: Sure. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, we wish you all the very best uh, for the role ahead, and that's it for me. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question comes from Troy McLean from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
8: Um, good morning. Um, I, I just have one question. Um, are you seeing competitors, you know, given what's happening in the retirement um, sector, uh, are you seeing competitors get more aggressive and either like discounting uh, rents or you know uh, um, more involved on, on the on the sales front? Uh, you know, what are you seeing there? Any change from the prior couple quarters?
2: No, it's it's very local, uh, Troy. You know, so at markets which have, um, uh, you know, had new competitors moving in, we always look at it as dynamic pricing, so we will adjust those. Uh, for most cases, you know, uh, we have had rental increases go in, and uh, the residents are extremely uh, supportive. Uh, they understand all the uh, amazing work we have done. When an opportunity uh, was a three of our retirement residences, they all talked about, you know, they're very happy. The government is paying the the staff extra. You know that we that we they understand all the steps we have taken with uh, with screeners at the door. So you know, not one of them talked about cost. They really talked about you know, ensure that we continue to do everything we can to keep everyone
8: safe. Um, uh, that's good. And then just one final question: um, the re- the LDC redevelopment program you know, has been tweaked by the government. Um, would it be fair to say that um, the redevelop- redeveloping the assets um, uh, or has the, has the timing of the redevelopment of redeveloping these assets, has that changed at all in the, in, in the last quarter given what's happening in the industry or, you know, did you expect to start that, you know, something in the near term?
2: Yeah, I think the timing has changed in the sense uh, that, you know, previously we talked about uh, these pro- the redevelopment program was not really financially feasible. Uh, because, it, you know, it, it is not because all the construction cost to be the same in North Bay than it would be on Young and Eglinton in, in, in Toronto. So the fact that it's regional, it factors in the development uh, fees that you have to pay the land cost. So I do think uh, uh, you know, there would, be, there would be some pick up on it. Uh, obviously, that's the conversation to have with stakeholders ensuring what the process is, how streamlined the process is to start building again. Uh, lenders are, are quite uh, active in this space in terms of construction financing as well, so that will continue on. But, again, these are all the conversations with, with lenders, with stakeholders, with hospitals that will be the uh, conversation moving forward as to how we, uh, how we do that.
8: Uh, thank you. I appreciate the color, and uh, have a great day.
2: Thank you, Troy.
1: Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you would need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press the pound key. Our next question comes from Tal Woolley from National Bank. Please go ahead.
9: Hi. Good morning, everybody. Good
1: Hi. Good morning, morning Tal.
9: Um, ask this question uh, on another on one of your peers' calls. Um, what sort of uh, regulatory changes or operational changes um, would you like to see that would, you know, you think that would really help help? Uh, deliver uh you know sort of better better care during this period um you know do you sort of have an idea of like the two or three things that could really make an impact right now
2: i, I think the three things i talked about as it relates to COVID 19 you know the three things have been uni, universal masking and you can make it a bit more broad and just talk about ppe uh, in a bigger way you know that that's i think that that the focus will continue on Uh, You know, it was very difficult, uh, even though because of the uh, size in our platform, you had access to PP&E, but I I would tell you it was uh, 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 difficult to ensure that you have continued supply. So we are shoring up supply at this time, and we have a bit of a break. Uh, You know, the single-site staffing, that that was uh, very beneficial uh, for us. Uh, And the last one is on our universal testing. So I do think these three things should continue on. And then we do have increased some staffing uh, as well to ensure that we are putting extra work around screening and everything. So, again, depending on what comes out of this pandemic, if it's going to business as usual, unless say, the pandemic disappears, there are learnings in it, you know, whether it relates to infection control, whether it's looking at staffing mix from full-time to part-time. I think, you know, it has been a crisis, and and then I wish it wasn't here, uh, but I think this would um, uh, make things or ha- have – Dri- definitely
9: driven the focus on many of the things that we've talked about before. Okay. Uh, and then just uh, on the balance sheet, um, you said that you had really like repaid about $60 million um, of the credit facility drawdown uh, in Q3. And that would still leave you, give or take, I'm sorry, I don't know the number right in front of me, but probably about a 90 to $100 million uh, cash balance. Is, is the intention to carry that much? Uh, you know, for the foreseeable future?
3: Yeah, hi, pal You know, um, going into the pandemic uh, early days, we wanted to be very prudent uh, from an enterprise risk management perspective. And we wanted to make sure that at all times we have sufficient cash on hand with you no know, quick access to financial uh, flexibility to support additional staffing needs, uh, as well as purchase of PPE. And you know, now that we've learned uh, more from it, um, you know, that's why we, thought that, no, we had the ability to repay uh, some of that back, uh, but we would expect to maintain that higher level of cash on hand.
9: Okay. Um, and then uh, the call center that you're rolling out, is that an, uh, an outsourced or are you doing that in-house yourself?
2: No, it's a call center which is fully would be fully owned by Siena with people who understand, uh, seniors who know Uh, What's more important to residents, uh, it would be you know our our Sienna team members well trained in in this uh, in in our sector. So that will be a key focus for us, and we will uh, we will start with the right mix, and we will make it bigger as it uh, generates more and more leads.
9: Okay, Um, and then sorry, Karen, just lastly, I I just want to make sure I've got this this, uh, the pandemic expenses uh, that you're sort of expecting to see correct. You said about four million in NOI for the balance of the year and then about three million in GNA? No,
3: That's your best uh, guess at this point? Yeah, let me clarify that. Uh, it's four million per month in NOI with most of that in long-term care uh, and then three million uh, for the balance of the year in GNA. So let's call it okay. half a million each month in GNA.
2: And the and four and the four million, uh, tal, uh does not include any government funding. So we expect government funding to come in and that would reduce that number of four.
9: Got it. Okay, thanks very much, everybody.
2: Thank, thank you, you Charles.
1: Thank you. I share no further questions in the queue. At this time, I'd like to turn the call back to Mr. Nitin Jain, President and CEO, for closing remarks.
2: Thank you, Dholam. Uh, thank you to all of you and thank you for joining uh, our call this morning on behalf of uh, our entire management team and our board of directors. I want to thank you for your continued support, and uh, I hope all of you have a great day. Thank you. Thank
3: you, everyone.
1: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.